Welcome back to the Corey M Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. We're continuing our respiratory month this week, and we had some great talks today on respiratory virus panel testing, a vent workshop, and a workshop on epistaxis. The vent workshop reviewed basic vent settings and then moved into troubleshooting. The MCRIP podcast has a great series on vent basics, so instead of reviewing it all here, we're going to drop a link to those podcasts in the show notes. Let's start with our viral panel testing talk. And what we're specifically talking about here is testing for influenza. At many hospitals, this is required for any patient with respiratory symptoms who's going to be admitted. The two main reasons for doing the test are to cohort patients when they get admitted and to treat patients with oseltamivir or Tamiflu. The test has a rapid turnaround time, which is nice, but the test characteristics aren't great. A number of studies have shown that while specificity is pretty good, sensitivity is relatively poor. Additionally, the studies only really look at testing patients when endemic flu is present and the patient has symptoms consistent with the flu. That means not just a cough and fever, but coryza, muscle aches, and all of the other things that come with the flu. Applying this test to everyone is costly and frankly, not indicated. Additionally, since the sensitivity is low, if we only cohort patients who have a positive test, we run the risk of missing patients who clinically have the flu with a false negative test. As far as using Tamiflu, I don't think this is a good reason either, since the drug isn't that helpful. Now, there's a ton on this topic in the foam world, and I'll drop some of those links in the show notes as well. The bottom line is that the drug may reduce symptomology by 12 to 16 hours, but it doesn't save lives and it causes a long list of side effects. I almost never use this drug in patients with influenza who aren't critically ill. And even in the critically ill, it's pretty questionable whether this has any benefit. Let's move on to our epistaxis workshop. Now I know epistaxis doesn't exactly fit with our respiratory month, but we covered it here anyway. This was a hands-on workshop looking at anterior and posterior bleeding. My workshop focused on posterior bleeds, but we also talked about some things concerning anterior bleeds as well. Now, posterior bleeds are relatively uncommon. They represent only about 5-10% to of all epistaxis patients that are seen in the ED. These bleeds originate from the posterior sphenopalatine arteries and rarely the internal carotid. They can be difficult to identify. Some things that can tip you off are if the patient's had recent nasal surgery, there's blood dripping back into the patient's pharynx, and the briskness of the bleeding. Often though, you figure out that it's a posterior bleed when you place an anterior pack and the bleeding isn't controlled. There are commercial devices for tamponading posterior epistaxis like the Rapid Rhino, but if you don't have these available or don't know how to use them, you can stick a Foley catheter into the nose, preferably an unused one, and advance it until you see the tip in the posterior pharynx. Then you inflate the balloon and pull back. This brings the balloon into the posterior nasal space where the bleeders are and tamponades that bleed. This is a temporizing measure until you get ENT or IR in to fix the bleed. The other two things that we tackled was the use of tranexamic acid for anterior bleeds and the use of antibiotics in patients who get packing. For tranexamic acid, there isn't a ton of literature out there, but there was a randomized control trial in 2013 with 216 patients with anterior nosebleeds. They found that 71% of patients in the TXA arm bleeding stopped in about 10 minutes. This was in comparison to just 31.2% in the traditional management group, so an absolute difference of almost 40%. They also found shorter ED times in the tranexamic acid group. 95% of patients in the TXA group were discharged within two hours, as opposed to just 6.4% in the standard treatment group. This is an incredible number. Discharging any patient with epistaxis in less than two hours is incredible. Often we see the bleeding stop temporarily with packing, only to re-bleed in a matter of minutes to hours. 
I've used topical TXA a bunch of times for this indication, and I have to say that it works pretty well. I'm at about 80% success rate for using this on patients. Finally, do we give antibiotics to patients we put packing in? So what are we worried about here? We're worried the patient may develop an infectious complication, specifically acute otitis media, sinusitis, or the dreaded toxic shock syndrome. There's dogmatic application of antibiotics to these patients. In fact, someone asked me the other day whether we should start a patient who had epistaxis on antibiotics who didn't even need to have packing placed. Unfortunately, there's scant literature looking at this one. I found three relevant articles on the topic, and I'll include those in the show notes. None of these are high-quality research, but what there is shows no benefit for antibiotics in patients with anterior PACs. For posterior, there's even less information and nothing that would be adequate to base a recommendation on. In addition to the lack of evidence supporting its benefits, antibiotics may also result in significant side effects like diarrhea, allergic reactions, and they may breed further antibiotic resistance. So what's the bottom line? There's minimal evidence, little of it high quality, that addresses the question. The evidence that does exist seems to support not giving antibiotics. If the patient is healthy, I'm not doing it. If they're diabetic, they have chronic immunosuppression, you should have a lower threshold to give those patients antibiotics. Now, finally, we had a visiting lecture from Jeremy Faust from Foamcast on music in emergency medicine. We're going to publish that as a full-length talk later this week. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net, where we've got a ton of great core content. This Wednesday, we'll have a post-up on VTAC management, and there'll be a journal club update coming out on Thursday on H. pylori testing in the ED. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google+, and on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you next week.